This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about finances today, and it's amazing as we do the battles of life, how these uh, battles are interconnected, that oftentimes behind fury, there's fear, and how that faith can dissipate our fears, and how that perfect love casts out fear. And yet, one of the things that really can trump our faith is finances. In fact, uh, Tim Keller says it's the chief rival God, always has been, probably always will be. And so uh, as we talk about finance today, think of me as kind of a Dave Ramsey on sedatives, okay? Uh, it's, it's not that my talk, I think, is going to be boring. It's just that no one can speak with the kind of passion that Dave Ramsey speaks about this subject. But what I want to do today is to share with you some wisdom from Ramsey and a lot of different other venues and other sources, and certainly the scriptures on this very important topic as we wrestle and we do battle with finances. Now, I want to start by pointing out a scripture, uh, an interesting, intriguing statement of Jesus that's always fascinated me in Luke 16, verse 9, where Jesus says that the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So leaving that up there just for a moment. What's Jesus getting at there? What we do know is that Jesus is talking in the context of our relationship with money. Jesus is telling a series of parables in Luke 16. Jesus is talking about uh, warning us about greed and how that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve both God and money. But in the midst of this, he makes that intriguing observation that the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I think one of the things that Jesus is getting at is that there are some people in this world who are not necessarily spiritually minded at all, who have a much better handle on financial management and how to get along with this world than some people who are very spiritually minded. And so I operate under the idea that all truth is God's truth and God can use anybody to bring truth into my life and to be used. You know, if I'm having brain surgery, just to be honest about it, I hope my doctor is a Christian. But I also hope it's not his or her first surgery. And so in the same way, you know, I want to lean in and learn from people in business and finances that have something to tell me, that have something to teach me. And so as we share this wisdom today, we're borrowing We're plundering the Egyptians, if you know that story, from people that have something to teach us. And I want to talk about this kind of in two different seasons of life, getting started and finishing well. Getting started and finishing well. So in getting started, you know, no one's better than Ramsey in terms of the influence that he has. And Dave Ramsey leads Financial Peace University. Uh, He has his radio show, as you many of you know. We've offered Financial Peace University here for years. We've had over 100 people at Schweitzer go through it. We've had all kinds of testimonies of people that just come out of that so much better, a much better handle on their finances. And some have just found it amazingly transformative. So there's two things that Ramsey says in particular that I want to share with you briefly this morning and getting started. And one of the things he says is, 
do away with your credit cards and create a $1,000 emergency fund instead. Now, if you're like me, you say, no, I, I mean, I've got a credit card. But folks, uh, anyone that can't pay off their whole balance on a credit card at the end of the month really shouldn't have a credit card. Credit card and interest rates on credit cards has probably done more people in than almost anything imaginable in terms of so much easy credit. And notice the wisdom when Ramsey says, instead of doing that, no matter if you don't have anything hardly, build an emergency fund of $1,000 as quickly as you can so that when emergencies happen, and they will over the course of a year, you're prepared to handle many of those emergencies. Whether it's a visit in the emergency room or whether it's a repair to a car, it's not gonna cover everything, but it's gonna cover lots of things. Instead of going to credit to handle the emergency, you've got a thousand bucks. And then of course, to be able to grow that thousand dollars, where ultimately you have uh, three or four months of emergency funds of where that money is available to you should you lose your job or something of a more catastrophic nature occurs. And so uh, there's a lot of wisdom to that. You know, credit is not our friend. And you know that uh, if you have money in the bank or you have, you're not making any money on interest. Who's making the money on the interest? It's the credit card companies. It's corporate banks. It's the loan sharks. And folks, I'm not a picketer. I'm not the kind of guy that usually does demonstrations or protests. But there's one place in Springfield I've almost got my sign out and picketed. And it's the same day loan folks. Because the same day loan folks will give you $500 cash in a New York minute. What they will not tell you necessarily is that the average amount of credit that people have to pay through same day loans is 450%. Now that is atrocious. And there's people that are being destroyed by that. So I was privileged today to sign a letter this past week along with many clergy colleagues to the state legislators to say, you know, don't ever receive any funding from any of those folks. No matter who you are, what your politics are, surely we can agree with this. And cap the, the interest at 36%. Now, but you and I know 36% will still kill you. So Ramsey's wisdom here of creating an emergency fund and not getting into credit that you can't pay off before the interest sets off, it, it's, it's huge. The other thing that he says that is, is so basic and so wise is to create a monthly budget. Create a monthly budget where every dollar has a name. Uh, I'm told that there's an app you can go to, you can create an app on your phone, every dollar. So he's got the old method of you get your dollars out and you literally uh, trace the, the dollar bills. You can do the every dollar app, whatever you do. But to create 
a monthly budget where at the beginning of the month, every dollar has a name. And you know where that dollar is going. Because as you know, John Maxwell says, unless you create a budget where people tell their money what to do, they're always going to wonder where it went. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's wisdom. That's basic wisdom of getting started that runs so countercultural to our time. You know, debt is, is such a problem. It's a ball and a chain. And it's so easy to fall into it. And it's so easy to allow debt to get to the point. I mean, there's some debt smarter than others, but that it just strangles you. And we serve that and we worry about that. And it's so much better to be proactive in guarding against it. Think about your company, your life as you incorporated, you incorporated. You are the financial manager of your life. You are the manager of your life. Now, how do you, this is where I go beyond Ramsey. How do you take you incorporated and place it under the auspices of God? How do you take who you are and say, God, I want you to be in every facet of my life. Intelligence and degrees have nothing to do with strong financial management. You know, the the Northeast elite establishment don't have a clue. 97% of Harvard graduates in one study didn't have a clue and had no written financial goals. 3% that did. The 3% that did accomplished more in two years with their management than the 97% combined. So folks, there is the school of experience that we learn from that has nothing to do with credentials, has nothing to do with degrees. That's what we want you to grasp. And the other thing I want to say uh, really strongly is that as you get a handle on finances, something you got to watch for, and that's the spiritual battle, because the scripture says it very clearly, as your money increases, do not set your heart on it. As your money increases, don't set your heart on it. Um, I've had four different conversions in my life. I believe that if you keep growing in Jesus, you'll have several different conversion experiences in your life. When I was 17, I had my second conversion. And uh, uh, they took me to the river and they baptized me by immersion, of course. We're going to baptize Justin Helwick, the guy that gave that great witness next hour, we were talking to staff the other day about how the water's dirty, and I don't know whether the water there is left over from last week or not, but you know, it has nothing in comparison to the river, you know. <clears throat> and so I come from the country, we used to baptize folks in the river. I love the story of the pastor who was about to baptize this guy in the river, and he said, now let me pull my wallet out, I don't want to get that wet. And the preacher said, oh, just go ahead, I want to baptize your wallet too. And you know, um, when I was 17 years of age, I, don't, I can't explain this, it was just God. But I was so hungry for scripture. I, do, I could not read enough scripture. And I was, I was reading the scripture. 
it became so clear to me. You give the first fruits. You give the best. You don't give the leftovers. You give God the, the basic 10% tithe and then some. And so since I was 17 years of age, when I was baptized, part of my life that really got baptized was my money. And so I've always tithed since that day. As a 17-year-old kid, as a kid walking through, working through college and seminary, not having very much money as a young pastor, when Susan and I were young, having kids, we called ourselves silks, single income, lots of kids. Uh, we have always done this. Uh, getting our kids through college today, 10% and then some now. And I don't say that. I do not say that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying, if you want if you want to grow in your faith, you got to give God every facet of your life. And one of the things that God is going to have to baptize ultimately is our finances. And it's the most freeing, wonderful experience in life where I've seen God so faithful to us. So I want to put out a challenge. You may never have done this before. You may be on the brink of being able to do this, but if you tithe 10% of your income to God, I'm not going to tell you who to give it to. For the next three months, see what God does with that, with your heart and your money. Um, that's, that's the deal. Because you know what? No one has ever become poor by giving. That's, uh, let's look at some scripture uh, from Timothy, Paul's words to, to Timothy. So rich, by godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Lots of wisdom there. One of the things it says is godliness with contentment is great gain. So about 30 years ago, my father and I were riding in this car. I had bought this car. It wasn't, a brand, it wasn't a brand new car. It was a nice car. And do you know back in the day, you used to have to roll up your windows? In a, did you all know that? You really did. You didn't just press a button. And so this is when the, it was starting to happen. You, know, you, you bought cars and you had that choice. And I got me a car where you could just push the button. And the window would roll up. And my dad would never buy cars like that. And I asked dad, dad, I know you can afford this. Why don't you buy a car where you can just push the button and the window rolls up? And he looked at me like I was from outer space. I'll never forget what my dad said. He said, was well, because it's just one more darn thing that can go wrong. It's just that he didn't say the word darn. But you know what? Here I am, a spiritual guy, a pastor, talking to my father who's not an honest guy, not a person of faith till the end of his life. He had more godly wisdom 
than I did about contentment. That generation had a lot more understanding about if you have food and clothing and shelter, be content. And the technology that we have to buy, the newest trick, the newest tool, the newest toy. The crazy thing is, you know, if you don't upgrade your iPhone, it becomes obsolete. They create that. But something's happened to us, folks, and it's not good. Because that was the day when bumpers were bumpers and not a piece of plastic. But contentment. How content are you? That, that is the bedrock of the spiritual relationship that we can have with money. Where money can be a wonderful thing. Or it can be the ruination of our life. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then Paul says those other words, doesn't he? That we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into this world and we can't take anything out of it. What wisdom? I want to use that scripture to segue into the last part of the message, which is finishing well. How do we finish well? How do we, those of us who are, uh, you know, we've kind of turned the corner and, and we're heading toward the home stretch, or maybe, maybe it's 10 or 20 or 30 more years, but we're heading for the home stretch. I want to finish well. I want to be at the top of my spiritual game. I want to give it all to God. And I want to leave a legacy that glorifies God and makes a difference long after I'm gone. The psalmist says it so well. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. What's he talking about? He's talking about the reality that some of us have been blessed in life financially and otherwise and some of us by our own doing and some of us by just fortune the boundary lines have fallen well for us what do I want to do with that to whom much is given you know much much is required and I, I want to be able to give my life away you know this congregation has has so many gifts and talented people but I got to tell you that I think one of the biggest strengths of our church are the people in their 60s and 70s and 80s that are retired. And they're just literally giving their life to the ministry and the outreach of this congregation. Um, they're giving their life totally to prayer or to kids in school ministry or to the garden or to the food pantry or to the pastoral care. They're giving 20, 30, 40 hours a week. And what kind of got this started was over 10 years ago, I had a conversation with Ed Hewlett. And Ed Hewlett is one of those guys that gave himself, gives himself away. And Ed was retiring and we went to lunch. I still don't remember who paid for the lunch. But Ed said to me, Bob, I'm retiring. I could buy a boat and I could go fishing. But 
that's not what I want to do with my time. I want to make my time really useful and fun. So I'm going to go to work full time for the church. Never for a dime. Never got a dime. Gave him a cubicle, the guy, for over 10 years. And now he's working out of his home. But, and what he said typifies what so many people in this congregation are doing in their 60s and 70s and 80s. And many of you are doing ministries beyond Schweitzer and in the community doing good for Jesus Christ. I know that. That's a legacy. So legacy has a lot more to do than just finances, doesn't it? You're leaving a legacy of faith and a witness that inspires me. Where so many people have said to me, when I grow up, I want to be just like Ed. (laughs) And we've had so many people become like Ed in giving themselves away in their 60s and 70s and 80s. I'm astounded by it. But one of the ways in which we leave a legacy to is with our finances. So I've got to ask you the question, what's the goodly inheritance that you want to pass on? What are the gifts that will formulate your legacy? Susan and I went to a will and estate uh, seminar the past year. And uh, we were astounded with some information. Answer this question if you would. Of all the billions of dollars that are inherited in this country, what's the percentage of that money that's inherited that's gone within five years? Anybody want to guess? Word gets around. Uh, 90%. It's gone in five years. That's poor financial management. Now, I say all that to say... uh, It's important to leave a faith, a heritage, and I want to leave some money for my kids. But I want to make certain that when I'm gone, at least 10% is going to go to God. Because that's that's just kind of who I am. And part of Schweitzer's legacy is not just the people in their 60s and 70s and 80s that give so much of their time. But we're standing on the shoulders, folks, of some people who left the legacy of the gift. I want to invite you to watch this video with me. My name is Kent Thomas. I'm a member of Schweitzer, and I'm privileged to sit on the Missouri United Methodist Foundation board. Schweitzer has three endowments invested with the foundation. The first, the Shaw Endowment, is focused on education. The second, the Hoffman Endowment, is focused on capital growth. And the third, the Growing God's Church Foundation, is focused on growth in general and is available to the leadership of the church to do those things most needed for the church. My name is Daryl Decker. I'm a member of the church board. The Helen Hoffman Memorial Endowment was started in 1993 after the death of a long-term member, Helen Hoffman. Part of the funds were used to complete Hoffman Hall, where now we have meetings of AA, NA, Boy Scouts. This is a fund with the foundation that you are able to contribute to today or at any time that helps the capital improvements needed for Schweitzer Church. Growing God's Kingdom Endowment was started in 2014. A couple that wished to remain anonymous simply tithed their estate 
to Schweitzer. The purpose of this endowment is primarily for growth to look forward to future needs. Think about how different Schweitzer is today than what it was 25 years ago. What will Schweitzer be like 25 years in the future? This endowment gives future leadership maximum flexibility in using funds as needed for Schweitzer ministries and purposes as we face them in the future. In 2003, I sat down with Bonnie Shaw, who created the Shaw Endowment in memory of her husband, Ralph, for seminary students. We've had several people go into the ministry since then that's benefited from this fund. Mark McNelly, Jake Hotchkiss, and Stephen Paddock currently are going to seminary, course of study work, and receive scholarship help on an annual basis. We're so grateful for the Shaws, and we're grateful for future gifts that can be given to this fund to enable the ministry to go forward in the lives of the future pastors of this church. A wise pastor once told me that people tend not to give if they're not asked to give. We are asking. Schweitzer of the future, the Schweitzer of our children's children, will benefit from what we do today years and years and years from now. Just as others gave to us in the past, we're asking that you consider giving to the church today. You can fill out an intent to give form. You can give today. You can plan for it in your estate. No gift is too small. Every gift helps us ensure that we have the opportunity to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Thank you. So we have three endowments in our church. We have the Hoffman Endowment, which is something that we use currently for uh, capital improvements. We have the Shaw Endowment, which helps us to help people like Jake Hotchkiss, our young adult guy, to go to seminary. And growing God's kingdom is something we're doing 25 years from now, when the lead pastor and the board will be facing the need for emerging ministries and deep resources, and to be able to provide that for the future Schweitzer Church. If you wish to think about this and want to contribute to one of these endowments, you may pick up this estate planning endowment form and we also have an estate gift intention form at the table in the foyer right in the middle of the foyer and Daryl Decker and Neil McCall will be present to visit with you if you have any questions um, it's, it's a wonderful thing to let God have our life and sometimes the last thing we give him is our finances. Have you let God baptize that portion of your life? I want to end with uh, this statement of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, where he says, earn all you can without hurting yourself or your neighbor. Earn all you can. Save all you can. Save all you can by cutting off every expense that serves to indulge foolish desire and waste nothing. And then give all you can. Do not limit yourself to this or that proportion, a tenth, a third, a half. Give all you can to God that you may serve and you may give a good account of your stewardship. 
It was said of John Wesley, and he made a lot of money. He was an author. He gave more than 90% of it away at the end of his life. All he had left when he died was enough money to carry his body to the grave, a few kitchen utensils, an old, worn-out preacher's garment, and the Methodist church. That was Wesley's legacy. What are you going to leave behind?